is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Catholic Review Radio is a weekly radio program and podcast hosted by Catholic Review Media, the news operation of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic partners for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to our listeners each week. Welcome to Catholic Review Radio. I'm George Matisek, Digital Editor for the Archdiocese of Baltimore and the Catholic Review. Since they were first published in 1548, St. Ignatius Loyola's spiritual exercises have been helping people across the world deepen their relationship with Christ. A compilation of prayers, meditations, and contemplative practices, the exercises are known for engaging the imagination and challenging believers to stretch themselves spiritually. On today's show, Jesuit Father Stephen Spahn will help us learn more about the spiritual exercises and the man behind them. Father Spahn is a theology professor at Loyola University, Maryland, in Baltimore, who leads Ignatian retreats in Maryland. He also assists at St. Joseph in Cockeysville. Here's our conversation with Father Spahn. Father Spahn, thanks so much for being here on Catholic Review Radio. It is my great pleasure. Many Catholics are familiar with the Jesuits, uh, especially if they were educated at a Jesuit institution, or even if they're just paying attention to our current Pope, who, as everyone knows, is the first Jesuit to be elected to the papacy. But there's a lot of people who might not be familiar with the person who founded the Jesuits, St. Ignatius Loyola. Could you tell us a little bit about who St. Ignatius was? Yes, I'd love to. Um, So Ignatius was born in 1491 in Spain as a Basque. And, of course, 1491 was one year before a pivotal year when Columbus sailed the ocean blue. And um, he was the youngest son of a a noble family. And at the tender age of 16, uh, landed a sweet internship, if you will, in the royal court through the treasurer to the Catholic monarchs, Ferdinand and Isabella. And... um, he, by all accounts, he took to that and would, would no doubt have spent his whole life in historical obscurity enjoying um, that world. What was Ignatius like as a young man? Yeah, I think he was, um, he was well suited to that life. He was five foot three inches tall, so not someone of great physical stature, but um, seems to have had a really winning personality and was quite ambitious. Um, perhaps a bit arrogant and certainly vain. And um, we we might think of those as uh, deficits in a person, but if you're working in the royal courts, um, I think they served him very well there. He was a striver, for sure. He wanted to accomplish great things. Um, in May of 1521, the French are invading the, the region of Navarre, there's an insurrection against the Spanish uh, monarchy. And um, Ignatius, like so many, was dispatched to defend the city. The the Spaniards are grossly outnumbered, and everyone with any sense gets out of Dodge, so to speak, Um, including Ignatius' own brother has the sense to leave. But Ignatius convinces his little posse to, to hole up there and defend Pamplona. And that doesn't go so well as a cannonball comes tearing through the house where they are holed up and literally tearing through the legs of Ignatius, shattering the right leg and 
wounding the left leg and um, leaving him you know, gravely wounded. So that was some of his soldiering that didn't go so well. But this will be the start of, of a complete transformation of his life. I know he had a, a long recovery period, and is it right that he started reading saints' books just because they were available, and and then that kind of led more to his conversion? Yeah, exactly. So he did have a long convalescence, and he was a terrible patient. He his own decisions extended, in fact, his his convalescence, and all he had to read, thanks to his pious sister-in-law, um, was a book on. The Life of the Saints, and a book on the life of Christ, and so he just, he devoured these books, you know, like every line. And um, what it sets up for him is a, um, which is is important to Ignatian spirituality. What will become his his spirituality uh, is this daydreaming business. You know, as kids we were. Hold it sometimes for daydreaming when we were supposed to be paying attention to something else. But um, on on his recovery bed, he does a lot of daydreaming, and it takes the form of daydreaming about going back to the old life in the Spanish royal court. You know, winning a name for himself, winning the hand of a beautiful lady of some stature. You know, he, he notices his spirits sort of they tingle, they 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 rise as he thinks of those things. And then because of the reading of the book of the lives of the saints, it, very naively, arrogantly even, he'll imagine what if I did what they did or even tried to outdo what St. Francis did or St. Dominic did. Hmm. And um, it sets up a contrast in these daydreams. And uh, what he finds in the end of it all is dreaming about doing great things for God is ultimately more satisfying than dreaming about his old life. Is that the spark for him to pursue the priesthood and then ultimately founding his own religious community? Yeah, and it's um, it's certainly the spark for a change of life. Um, priesthood will be a long way off, and Ignatius really doesn't even talk about it at this point. What he's really consumed with is a desire to get to the Holy Land, um, which he will do. It will be a very short journey, and he won't get to stay there long. But he, he, he really is focused on spiritual, what we call spiritual conversation. He's now in love with God, and he's consumed with with God, and he wants to talk to people about God. He wants to engage them in their own lives about this this subject of God. And, of course, he, he lives in an entirely Roman Catholic universe, but, you know, kind of a nominally Roman Catholic universe. Like most folks probably aren't talking so much about God. And that that's his, really his first desire. What he will discover quickly is, you know, this is the, the you know 16th century, and there's this thing called the Spanish Inquisition that's underway, and... To be roaming around talking about God with strangers was a dangerous prospect because he has, notice, he has no education, no formal education. He has certainly no religious formation. Um, he is a layman, 
So priesthood will come later, but the first desire really is is just engaging with people about God. How does he form the Society of Jesus, what, what became the Jesuits? Yeah. Well, so he, um, after that ill-fated journey to the Holy Land, he'll come back to Spain and, and hunker down in studies. He, he ends up having to study Latin as like a 30-something in a classroom with, you know, teenagers. Um, so he will study in Spain um, for several years. And, um, again, because of some brush-ups with the Inquisition, he makes a decision to go to Paris. And so he will spend seven years earning a master's degree in theology at the University of Paris. And that's where his his two roommates, just, you know, think of the roommate selection process. He ends up living with who we now know as St. Francis Xavier and St. Peter Faber. So he, he hits some rich soil there with those two friends. But he'll gather a group of ten men. All of them will then be ordained priests. And their their ambition still is to get back to the Holy Land. That's what Ignatius wanted to do in the first place. Um, geopolitical forces have made it impossible to get to the Holy Land. So plan B is, well, let's go see the Pope. I mean, it's incredible. They sound a bit naive, but you can imagine it's, uh, it's Pope Paul III who receives this group of um, ten highly educated um, Europeans, because they're not all Spaniards, who really want at this time in the church to to do nothing more than offer themselves in service to the Holy Father and to the the work of God in the church. And you know, of course. Um, the Pope wisely says, yes, please do come. And so that's kind of the inception of the company of Jesus, which is uh, was sort of not anticipated originally. And, and the name itself, if I can say that, um, it, was, it was really bold to name themselves the Society of Jesus. No one had ever presumed to, to do that. Um, and... Um, but for Ignatius, it, w- it was always about Jesus and wanting to be a companion of Jesus. And that's how he understood himself and how he meant for the Jesuits to, to be in the world. Um, and so, despite some opposition, uh, the society is founded formally in 1540. And by the time Ignatius dies in 1556, there are over a thousand Jesuits, and there are dozens in Japan, in India, and in Brazil. So it, it starts fast and furious um, with Ignatius um, leading behind a desk in Rome. It's an incredible growth to go from nothing to a thousand that quickly. Exactly. And there were other orders like the Theatines and the the Maskins, um, the Barnabites, founded about the same time, who remained largely Italian orders and relatively small, but there, there was there was something quite extraordinary about this outfit. Yeah. Our guest today is Father Stephen Spahn, a theology professor at Loyola University, Maryland, in Baltimore. 
We're going to take a little break, and when we come back, we'll talk about the spirituality of St. Ignatius and his great work, The Spiritual Exercises. You're listening to Catholic Review Radio. I'm George Matasek. We'll be back in a moment. Archdiocese of Baltimore makes the protection of children a leading priority in its parishes, schools, and other ministries. The Archdiocese seeks to keep kids safe through training and background checks and by implementing a zero-tolerance policy for anyone credibly accused of abusing a child. For more information about the Archdiocese's efforts to keep our children safe, please visit www.archbalt.org accountability. Catholic News from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with the Catholic Review. The faded black bonnet with its gently ruffled frill once framed the face of America's first American-born saint. The black cap, a familiar sight in portraits of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton, rested in a gray archival box back in Emmitsburg, March 11th, for the first time since 1822. It's one of several rarely seen artifacts from Mother Seton's life, displayed as the National Shrine of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton prepares for an exhibit this summer to mark the 200th anniversary of her death. Sisters of Charity of New York donated the items, including St. Elizabeth Ann's rosary, wedding brooch, and her daughter's christening gown, to the Seton Shrine for their display and preservation. The items, mostly objects of daily life, will be used to talk about her diverse life experiences. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. The Jesuit order is pledging to raise $100 million for descendants of enslaved people once owned and sold by their order as a way to make reparations and also to help the nation move forward towards racial healing. The funds will be placed in a new partnership called Descendants Truth and Reconciliation Foundation formed by the Jesuit order and the GU272 Descendants Association named after 272 enslaved men, women, and children who were sold by the Jesuit owners of Georgetown University to plantation owners in Louisiana in 1838. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. From the virtual newsroom of the Catholic Review, I'm Kevin Parks. With inviting surroundings, complete independence, and an unmatched quality of life, Mercy Ridge is the unparalleled choice for your retirement lifestyle. It's a way of living that promotes an active, healthier life. Located in Timonium, Maryland, Mercy Ridge Continuing Care Retirement Community features a beautifully landscaped 32-acre campus. The grounds, dining, and recreational amenities and residences are designed to provide a gracious lifestyle and a variety of exciting activities. Visit MercyRidge.com. Perpetual Adoration is coming to Baltimore for the first time ever. On May 31st, the Basilica of the Assumption, America's first Catholic cathedral, will begin 24-7 Eucharistic adoration if the cathedral can get enough adorers to commit to praying day and night. Will you sign up for one hour and keep watch with the Lord? Will you pray for our country and for our church? To learn more, visit americasfirstcathedral.org slash adoration. That's A-M-E-R-I-C-A-S firstcathedral.org slash adoration. This is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Welcome back to Catholic Review Radio. I'm George Matisek. We're talking about St. Ignatius Loyola and his spirituality today. 
And our guest is Father Stephen Spahn, a theology professor at Loyola University, Maryland in Baltimore. Father Spahn, could you tell us a little bit about St. Ignatius's great spiritual work, the spiritual exercises, and what inspired him to write it? Yeah, um, George, it is arguably his greatest gift to the church. And I say this as a Jesuit uh, who loves the Jesuits and loves being a Jesuit, but the Jesuits are not Ignatius's greatest gift to the church. <laughs> this manual of prayer is. And um, it comes out of his, his own struggle to, um, to find his place, his way, if you will, in relationship with God. After that initial conversion experience on his his recovery bed, he's not out of the woods. He's going to have uh, some more troubles as he he needs to let go. I think of his his own ego and um, really let God take charge of his life. And that process, as tortuous as it is for him, um, it becomes the substance of this little manual of prayer called the spiritual exercises. So on one hand, the exercises are very much autobiographical in the sense that they come out of Ignatius's own journey. Um, but if you were to pick up a copy of these exercises, you'll find not even a word about Ignatius or his journey. So it's, um, it's an indirectly autobiographical work. But what it endeavors to do is to lead someone uh, over the course of a period of time. It might be a one-month um, sort of deep end of the pool plunge, which Jesuits and other religious and lay people can do for a month of silent prayer, um, praying five hours a day. Uh, one would cover this material. Or, which is more practical, of course, Another format of this would be to do it in daily life where someone would pray one hour a day with the aid of a spiritual guide and over the course of nine months cover this same material. It's Just to demystify it, it's not a book to be read. Uh, it's a book to be done. And Ignatius, in fact, never even intended for the retreat to, to have a copy of the book. So it's kind of the owner's manual, if you will. And and really all it is doing is leading someone through a cycle of the scriptures um, that will take them from an examination of creation and their own lives and sinfulness uh, through the birth, uh, life, death, and resurrection of our Lord. And... Um, it's transformative. That's all I can say. And I would hope everyone would put it on their, their bucket list because um, it, it will it will change your life. And it's it's not an easy exercise. I, I think exercise is, is an appropriate word because it's a yeah, pretty ar- arduous word. You know, he says just, just as, um, you know, the hard work we do to keep our bodies in shape, um, there's some hard work to be done to keep our spirits in shape. So for someone to do this in daily life, for example, you know, carving out an hour of quiet, deliberate prayer, and then a little more time for some journaling, and then weekly time for the meeting with a spiritual guide, um, and to do that for nine months, 
it's yeah, it's it's not for the faint of heart. And um, I, I've learned over the years that you know the people who, the folks who um, need to be prepared for something that's take a lot out of them, and it it may not always be feasible at the moment for everyone. But boy, if you if you've got the time and the space, it's a powerful experience. Could you talk about the use of the imagination in this kind of prayer? Uh, how does Ignatius want us to use our yeah. imagination? Right. So um, kind of to demystify the retreat, too, like most of the prayer, 95% of the prayer, will be just, uh, you know, hour-long encounters with passages of Scripture. And um, Ignatius really means for us. I mean, he, he had a very vivid imagination, and we're all different but there's no one out there who doesn't have an imagination. So Ignatius will invite us, you know, we're not, we're not, this isn't scripture study. We're not sort of pondering these texts as if we were um, scholars. Um, he, he's going to invite us to, to enter into the texts. So, for example, if one were praying over the Last Supper, Ignatius will invite you to, to take a seat at the table um, Right, to, to be there. And, and and through all these devices, he'll ask you to, he'll want you to, to, to pay attention to, to what it smells like there, what it feels like there, what it tastes like there, what you hear there. And so I say that's not the easiest kind of prayer to do. And it's, it's unfamiliar to most. I'll tell you the first time I did it as a college student at Georgetown, um, it just it rocks my universe because hmm. I, I just I didn't know it was possible, and initially I was skeptical, uh, but with the help of a good spiritual guide, I was able to see that God gave me my imagination, and if I was employing that in the encounter with the living Word of God, oh, what a blessed place to be, right? I think one of the, the great lessons of the exercises is this notion of, of what Jesuits call the plus sign. And this refers to the Ignatian practice of trying to give people the benefit of doubt of the doubt, which is not, not an easy thing to do. Could you tell us about yeah. that plus sign? Yes. So, you, you know, I've mentioned that Ignatius got in trouble with the Spanish Inquisition along the way. And these exercises themselves were judged as suspect and, you know, maybe heretical even and so Ignatius says at the outset of the retreat his last notation which is known as the presupposition or as you say towards the the plus sign he he asked the director of the retreat to put the best possible interpretation on another's words and that if if that seems impossible that one then should seek some clarification what did you really mean? And then lastly, if it seems to have been meant badly, then to correct the person with love. Right? So try and put the best spin on it. Seek some clarification when you can. And when you must, correct someone in love. And, of course, you know this applies to the conversation of the retreat itself but what a great tool for life I, I teach this to my students here at Loyola and you know they're not praying the exercises 
but they're 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 tweeting and texting and Instagramming all the time and taking offense and giving offense often without intending to. So this this plus sign, um, it, it, again, it comes out of Ignatius' own troubles with the law, um, but just wanting people to understand one another before they form these these judgments that will will hurt and harm. We have about a minute left, Father. Uh, could you tell us how uh, people could make a retreat, or what advice would you have for someone yes, trying to make a George, retreat? Um, well, there are Jesuit retreat houses throughout the country uh, that I would highly recommend people take a look at. We here in Baltimore at Loyola University, through the Office of Mission Integration, offer, and we have now for five years, we offer the, that nine-month format of this retreat to those, as I say, who are in a good place where they can do it with the time and the, the resolve. And we start that typically in September. So I, if someone were interested, um, of course we give priority to, to Jesuit schools and institutions, but um, we, we now have over 120 folks from the Baltimore area who availed themselves of this retreat. And you all would be welcome. Is there a website or a phone number where people could get more yeah, information? Yeah, if, if folks come to Loyola University's uh, webpage for the Office of Mission Integration, as I say, August, September is when we get off the ground. Okay. And that, that website would be Loyola.edu? Yes, Loyola.edu. And then you can navigate to Mission Integration. Well, Father Stephen Spahn, thanks so much for being here today. All right, George, thanks for having me. Our guest today has been Father Stephen Spahn, a professor of theology at Loyola University, Maryland in Baltimore. You've been listening to Catholic Review Radio. I'm George Matisek. We'll see you again next week. The Catholic Review is the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the Catholic Church full-time. Pick up the monthly magazine at your parish or have it delivered to your home. Subscribe to our e-newsletter for twice-weekly updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Follow The Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Read it today in print or online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. Tune in to Catholic Review Radio next week. Available on WMET 1160 AM and 103.1 FM. Also, WSJF 92.7 FM in the Sykesville area and WVTO 92.7 FM in Baltimore City. Check us out on SoundCloud or your favorite podcast app. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Review Radio. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May Almighty God bless us and keep us always in his love.